Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us on the Kirk Church Podcast. I'm Aaron Elmore, lead pastor at Kirk of the Hills, located in Tulsa, Oklahoma. This is where you can hear messages from all our pastors and guest speakers. Make sure to subscribe and share with anyone who follows the Kirk. If you want to know more about us, visit us at thekirk.com, like us on Facebook, or follow us on Instagram at the Kirk Church. Let's get started with today's episode. Well, good evening. My name's Herod. Last name, The Great, of course, and I'm pretty great. Now, listen, I'm no Caesar, but it is my privilege, truly, to serve as a client king of the Holy Roman Empire. You see, I sit here on this throne, and whatever I say goes. It's pretty great. If Herod ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. That's what they say. Okay, yeah, that's pretty true. They say I'm crazy, ruthless, a fanatic. Yeah, that's pretty true, too. You know, if things don't go my way, I just, I have these things that I do. Well, you know, every now and then I've been known to, you know, take care of members of my own court, uh, maybe even a family member or two. But, you know, it's because they was rising up against me, and somebody's got to be in charge after all, right? I mean, it's not unprecedented, and I'm pretty great at being in control, if I haven't said, by the way. So anyways, the point is, I want to tell you a story. So the other day, things were merry, they were bright, they were really going pretty nice, actually. And this traveling entourage shows up in my royal court. They have the audacity to say, hey, was looking for a king. And I say, are you kidding me? There's a king right here. Can you not see me? Hello? I mean, listen, I don't know a lot of things, but when somebody shows up in a royal court and they ask the king where the king is, they're looking for trouble, if you ask me. I mean, trouble with a capital T. Anyways, so they say we're looking for somebody a little bit younger, you know, like a baby. Seriously? This cannot be happening. I mean, I am irate because I'm the king. And they says they're looking for a king. And this, for me, Herod the Great was the beginning of the crisis of Christmas. You got to have a little fun, don't you? Here's the hard part. I'm going to keep slipping back into character, but I'll do what I can. What are you going to do about it? So we've been looking at the story of Christmas over the last couple of weeks through this lens of crisis. We've looked at it from the perspective of Mary and Joseph, but have we thought about it from the perspective of Herod the Great? This became instantly, for him, a crisis, a political crisis that raises the question with the arrival of the baby. There was an instant power struggle. The arrival of Jesus raises the question, who is the true king? And so tonight we're looking at the story of a group. They made a long journey to come and see for themselves to confirm the good news of the arrival of the Messiah. Matthew records that after the birth of Jesus, perhaps up to two years later, some mysterious visitors came from far away to find Jesus and present Him with gifts and worship Him. But who were these mysterious visitors? Well, the truth is we don't know exactly. We all love the carol, We Three Kings, but... The truth is, they probably weren't kings, at least formally. There were certainly more than three of them. We get the number three based on the number of gifts that were given, but a 
a traveling entourage of that number in, in the ancient world carrying precious cargo would have been probably at least a couple of dozen people. Their ethnic identity is uncertain. We don't know if they were sages, priests, astrologers. There's a lot of mystery around them. They were from the east, but we don't know where. They came following the guidance of a star, but we don't know. Was this star something that everyone saw universally, or was it only something supernaturally that this group of people saw? Was it something maybe more normal, like a comet or a convergence of planets, like we saw just a few years ago in 2020, if you remember, the uh, intersection of Jupiter and Saturn creates what we've now come to call the Christmas star or the Bethlehem star. Maybe it was something like that. We don't We don't know exactly. The details are unclear, but it's important to try to discern why Matthew puts this in his gospel. He's the only one of the gospel writers who includes this particular detail. And the gospel writers were careful in their writing. They crafted these these narratives, these theological narratives. They were selective. It doesn't tell us everything. In fact, some of the gospels tell us very little about major sections of Jesus' life. So why does Matthew, even though he has limited space, why does he include this story? Well, there's a couple of themes that I'd like to highlight just for a few minutes here tonight for us to be thinking about. They're important to Matthew's gospel and to the story of Scripture. So the first one is the providence of God. Providence of God. Providence is simply the the means through which God directs all things and accomplishes His sovereign purposes. I think that Matthew includes this story at the beginning of his gospel to prove that God is doing something unique. Something particular to draw people into the story of salvation. The story is told in such a way that there cannot possibly be a purely natural explanation. Unusual things are happening here. Supernatural things. And I think the only way these seekers from afar make it to Jesus, come to understand who He is, and in fact live to tell about it, is by the grace of God. That's what Matthew's clear about. It's only by the grace of God that they find Jesus, that they understand the implications of these things, and they live to go and tell the story. They find Jesus in response to prophetic scriptures and a prophetic star. And then in verse 12, God warns the Magi through a dream not to return to Herod with the report, but to return to their country by a different route. This move not only saves their lives, but it also prevents King Herod from coming immediately to kill baby Jesus. We see this unfold over and over again in the story of Scripture. Even when evil tries to rise up and stop the plans of God, the providence of God keeps the story moving, cannot be stopped. And just as the only way these guys find Jesus and live to tell about it, the truth is that is our story as well. Every single one of us, the only way that we find Jesus is that God draws us. He uses supernatural stars, but often those stars really are the people in our lives who tell us the story of faith. God draws us into a relationship. The only way we come to find Jesus and that we live to tell about it is by the guiding hand of God sustaining us. And I think the inclusion of this story in Matthew's gospel communicates that the birth of Christ is going to have much more than a local impact Matthew's telling his audience that this child born, king of the Jews, will be much more than that. He will be king of the world. In fact, I think the travel of these figures from far away foreshadows the vision of Scripture of worshipers from every tribe and tongue and nation one day gathering before the throne of God. You see, that's how Matthew begins the story. He begins 
by sending word to people who are far off to come and see. And then at the end of Matthew's gospel, he says, now go and tell these things to the ends of the earth. And this is not just for one particular group of people. In fact, we see that through the details of the story. We have shepherds who are lowly. We have magi, again, who we aren't exactly sure, but they were people of means. They were important. They had very valuable gifts to give. And the gospel goes to both the lowly shepherds and the powerful magi. The gospel is universally good news of God's grace for all kinds of people, no matter what your background is. No matter how much money you have or don't have. No matter where you live. God is calling people who are far off. And truly, spiritually, that's all of us. We understand that, right? People who are far away from God. God calls them from a great distance to come and to see this reality. That God is changing the world through His Son, Jesus Christ. We see the providence of God. The second, I think, in a very at the heart of Matthew's thought when he includes this story in the gospel is this theme of the politics of a new king. Verse 3, it says, when King Herod heard this, heard this news, he was disturbed, and notice it says, and all of Jerusalem with him. Why is everybody in town disturbed? Because they know Herod, because he's crazy. And so if Herod's not happy, ain't nobody happy. And so the whole town is disturbed in verse 8, Herod instructs the wise men to go find this king, that I may come and worship him as well. We know later on as we keep reading the story in verse 16, we find out that was a total lie. He did not want to worship baby Jesus. He wanted to kill him. And in fact, he would go on to issue a decree to kill many little ones. But Jesus would escape. But you see, the challenge is on. Who is the real king, Herod or this little baby? From the very beginning, Jesus is a threat to those who are in power. And this power struggle continues throughout the gospel. Jesus comes into conflict with the religious leaders because of his teachings, his actions, his way of life, and the way he interprets the law. Jesus poses a threat to those who are in control, those with great power and wealth and status. He challenges our ambitions and our personal preferences. I think Matthew uses this story to introduce this power struggle at the beginning of the gospel. But as Tim Keller wrote in his little but profound book, Hidden Christmas, King Herod's reaction to Christ is, in a sense, a picture of us all. Dr. Keller wrote, there is a little, there is a little tiny Herod living in all of our hearts, isn't there? The truth is that the spirit of Herod is still very much alive today in our world and is very much alive in our hearts, isn't it? You see, all of us are like Simba singing the chorus to I just can't wait to be king. I would play it for you except we're live streaming and we would get kicked off the internet for playing this song. But in the chorus it says, oh, I just can't wait to be king. No one's saying do this. No one's saying be there. No one's saying stop that. No one's saying see here. Free to run around all day. I'll be free to do it my way. I just can't wait to be king. And that's the song of all of our hearts. 
We all love this idea that true freedom means being able to do whatever we want, being in control of our lives. We all, when we were kids, we wanted to be principal for a day. Everybody wants to be boss for a day. Everybody wants to to be in control, to be in power, because we think we would do it better. We just can't wait to be king. Just as Herod was threatened by the appearance of foreign travelers showing up in his capital city looking for the king of Jews, so too a power struggle is sparked in every human heart at the words of Jesus. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow me. This is the challenge of Christmas. Any claim of absolute authority inevitably triggers deep resistance within sinful human hearts. So how do we fight back against this resistance? Well, like the wise men, we must wisely choose the posture of worship. The Magi came and they bowed down and they worshipped him. They recognized who he was, that this little baby in a manger was an powerful and important figure. They came prepared with valuable gifts that were offered to royalty, and they gave them. And here's the question that brings us to a point of decision. Who is the true king? This is the most challenging and disturbing question possible for the human heart because we all strive at all costs to remain on the throne of our own lives. Don't we? We don't give up control very easily. And Christmas is the promise of many beautiful things. Love and joy, peace, God's presence with us, reconciliation with God, the hope of a better story. Christmas brings deep comfort to weary souls. And you can't receive the comfort of Christmas without also receiving the challenge of Christmas. Because Jesus really is who He says He is then that challenges our sinful, selfish, self-oriented lives at the most fundamental level. It calls us instead to worship, to surrender, to trust, and to have faith. That little baby in a manger is the hope of the world but because he is the rightful king of the world. And therefore, we must give him the honor and worship and respect that he is due because he is worthy. If we want to challenge the spirit of Herod inside of us, that resist the things of God and the work of God that we truly and deeply need, we must be like the Magi. We must get down on our knees and worship King Jesus, the eternal Word made flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. And we must offer our lives as a sacrifice of worship. These are the gifts that we bring, all of who we are. And if we think about it, this news that there is a new king in town, that we are not actually in control of our lives, though at first that tends to be a conflict and it creates resistance in our hearts. If we're softened and we'll listen to the voice of God and the Spirit of God, we'll come to find out that this is actually the best news we could possibly hear. You are not in control. You are not the king. And that's a good thing. You were not created to sit on the throne. And there is only one who is worthy to sit on that throne. That is the challenge of Christmas for all of us. We quit living under the illusion that we belong on that throne and that we are doing a good job taking care of our own lives. We can't, friends. We need to surrender to one who is greater, 
who came in incredible humility, who would go to the cross, who would be raised from the dead, and who sits at the right hand of the Father, waiting to come back. Someday we long and we wait. He is the King, my friends. That's the gift. That's the challenge. But it's the hope of Christmas. Will you join me as we pray together? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this incredible good news that you entered into our world, into our brokenness, into our discomfort. And from the very beginning, you experienced the discomfort of lying in that hay. And that would continue through the rest of your life until you experienced the excruciating pain on the cross. You entered into that in order to save us from ourselves. So Father, I pray this year at Christmas, this image of the throne would stand in our minds. That as we worship the little baby, Emmanuel, God with us, we would recognize that he is the rightful king. And we would joyfully surrender and worship and bow down and give over our lives as a sacrifice of worship to him. Fill our lives with that joy this year at Christmas, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.